There's nothing you can do to prevent the fact that 20% of the people are going to make 80% of the money. What you can do is you can create more wealth so everybody has more, which is what's been going on for the last 100 years. You're listening to Real Marketing Real Fast, the only podcast that brings you unfiltered, undaunted, insider information on the latest tools and technologies for online marketers. Prepare to dive deep into marketing myths, breakthrough models, and cutting-edge strategies that will have an immediate impact on the growth of your business. And now, here's your host, marketing expert, Doug Morneau. Well, welcome back, listeners, to another episode of Real Marketing Real Fast. Today, I've got joining me in studio, Perry Marshall. Now, Perry's the author of 8020 Sales and Marketing. So today's episode is about the 8020 rule, and I'm sure you've all heard of this before, but it, he's given us some very practical things to consider when we're looking at how we're spending our time and our money or our company's time and money in sales and marketing. In addition to that, uh, Perry's going to share a little bit about Google AdWords at the end, so make sure you stay tuned to the end. I think you'll be a little bit surprised and maybe shocked as I was when I heard his commentary and his comments and suggestions about uh, the current status of Google and Google AdWords. So without further ado, I'd like to welcome Perry Marshall to the Real Marketing Real Fast podcast. Well, welcome to the Real Marketing Real Fast podcast. I'm super excited to talk to you, Perry. So uh, welcome to the, to the show. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. It's an honor. We're going to have a good time today. We've got a lot of crazy stories to tell. Well, I hope so. I mean, I, I looking at your background and the and the people who recommended you um, bring me back to old memories of uh, Dan Kennedy's uh, cassette tapes and 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 big binder. So I'm I've got some gray hair for some of our listeners to know what cassette tape is. So why don't you share <laughs> with our audience just a bit of your you know your superpower, your experience, and and how you've you know come to this expert status where you've got these top gurus around the world saying you're the guy. Well, you mentioned Dan Kennedy, and uh, when I was about 28 years old, I was a bitterly struggling sales rep with a year and a half old baby at home and a wife and spiraling credit card debt and a sales career that was crashing and burning. In fact, I got I got demoted a few weeks later, and then I got fired a little while after that. But uh, in this one afternoon, I wandered into a coliseum in Peoria, Illinois, and it was this you know rodeo of all these sales and marketing people like Zig Ziglar and you know those kind of people. And the last person of the day was Dan Kennedy, and um, rather than giving some kind of a rah-rah speech, what Dan said was. Cold calling is the worst form of grunt work devised by man, and you shouldn't be doing it, and you should be attracting people to you instead of chasing them around. And it was like, wow, you know, I actually found somebody who is admitting the ugly truth about what all this is really like. And he managed <laughs> to levitate uh, about 300 bucks out of my wallet, which is a minor miracle because, you know, it was probably the last credit card that had any room on it. <laughs> and I went home with, like you said, the tapes and the manuals and I started digging in and it really was a big paradigm shift. I didn't know what direct marketing was. I didn't know what copywriting was. 
the internet hadn't really caught on quite yet at that point. Um, but, but I went home and I started studying uh, print advertising and direct mail pieces and all of this. And I started experimenting with it. And my experiments were very small and very meager, but considering how small and meager they worked, they were, they did sort of work. And, um, and so uh, it was really hopeful. And I, I mean, I really was almost circling the drain for the last time. Like I'd gone from engineering into sales. And if you, you go into sales and you basically fail for two years, well, now what are you going to do? <laughs> right? Like, yeah. yep. you know, I, I'm not, I, I can't like invent a story. Right. So I was, I was really anxious, uh, quite frankly. And um, we were, we were drowning and, well, so I get fired from this job, but I had managed to give a good job interview to this other company who made me a job offer before they found out that I had just gotten fired. And so I came back from Thanksgiving and started this new job. Well, the new job was similar in certain ways to the previous job, but the difference was they had a website and they sold nationwide rather than having a, a territory of Illinois. And I think the uh, the interview question that got me the job was, the guy said, so let's say we didn't have a bunch of money to put you on planes and have you go see all these customers. What would you do? And I said, well, I'll figure out how to sell to them via phone and email. And they liked that answer. So they hired me. <laughs> and That's great. And, and, they were, they, so what this was, this was a probably eight or 10 person company, couple million dollars a year. They were basically just doing software project development for different companies. And they had this little, like about 10% of their business, a couple hundred thousand dollars, which is not much, was selling this hardware and software that they wanted to turn into a full-fledged product business, and they had just enough money to hire me and put me in charge of that. So that's what I did. That's really cool. Well, yeah, yeah. and 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 they they had a website. Th this was '97. Okay, so you know, I, I would say the internet really started hitting full force around '98 or '99. So it was just a little bit before the wave was really catching. And so I was like. And of course, websites back then were really simple and, and stuff, but, but our customers were using the web and I had enough sense to realize that, hey, you know, all those uh, sales letters and print ads and everything that I'm reading about in the Dan Kennedy newsletter, you know, a website is only slightly different from all that. It's pretty much the same thing. And we're just generating leads here, right? And so... I was learning copywriting and direct response principles and return on investment and, you know, search engine optimization and all that in, you know, 97, 98. And it was working. And, you know, it's funny was I was literally one of the first people that I ever met that actually was making a living via the Internet. And, uh, and, and then I, I ended up doing a few little side projects. You know, I, I ended up building a, another website and doing some other things on my own and selling some stuff on eBay and doing, 
you know, doing the kinds of things that, you know, made the Wild West happen. And, and so eventually, uh, well, four years after I got hired, we had completely replaced all the consulting work with product sales. We'd grown the company from $2 million to $4 million a year. And uh, a big public company came and bought us for $18 million. And so I parachuted out with some stock options. And what I said to myself was, wow, you know, you've been learning this direct marketing stuff from a seminar here and there and scouring newsletters and, and stuff like that. What if you actually got good at this? And, uh, and so that, that's kind of the, the direction that I was pointed then uh, when I hung out my shingle. What if I really got good at this? So that's an awesome approach. I committed myself. Yeah, I mean, I love this space. I've been in this space for a long time as well. And you're right, there's, you know, there's opportunity there. And and I can't help but think there's more opportunity today than there's ever been um, for people that want to sell and, and understand direct response and use the tools that are now available to us online. So one of the things I, I noticed that you are often quoted for is um, an 80-20 rule. And we started the discussion before we started recording, but you know, I, I think it'd be a great, a great topic for us to dive a little bit deeper and just to get our head around as we're looking at sales and marketing and tools and tactics and people and team. Um, you know, what does that mean to you and and uh, you know, and how does that play out in the marketplace? So there isn't anything that would have more payoff for you as a business owner, as an executive, as a salesperson, as a marketing person, than thoroughly wrapping your head around the 80-20 principle. So what the 80-20 principle is, is it's this deceptively simple thing that, that's really very deep. It's, it's sort of like if I said, hey, you know, playing the guitar that's not really very complicated. It just has six strings. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. Sure. Well, 80, 20 is kind of like that in, in a very beautiful way. So, so a hundred years ago, a guy named Vilfredo Pareto figured out that no matter which country he studied, it always seemed to be the case that 20% of the people had 80% of the money and 80% of the real estate and 80% of the people had 20% of the money and 20% of the real estate. And uh, which meant that basically the haves had 16 times more than the have-nots. And you, you were either in the haves or the have-nots. And of course, you know, this is what everybody argues about every single election and, you know, inequality and, you know, executives are making too much money and, you know, all of that stuff, okay? Yeah. Well, what Pareto was saying was that this is a law of cause and effect. And it's actually everywhere. It's not just people. It's not just business. It's not just money. It's the size of files on your hard drive. And it's, it's, it's which roads in your town get the most traffic. And it's which airports have the most flights going in and out. And it's the size of craters on the moon. And it's the salespeople in your sales organization. All of these things are 80-20. And it's because it's a law of nature. It's like a law of physics. Um, there isn't really anything you can do about it. You can only work with it. And, and you can only decide whether you're going to be which side of the inequality that you're going to be on. <laughs> yes. 
and a lot of people don't realize this, but 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 it, it's true. Like there's there's nothing you can do to prevent the fact that twenty percent of the people are going to make eighty percent of the money. What you can do is you can create more wealth so everybody has more, which is what's been going on for the last hundred years. Like everybody has vastly more and we are eradicating poverty but you, you don't eradicate poverty by chopping off the top because that can't be done the way that you eradicate poverty is is with alchemy you create wealth um silicon valley makes sand into pinium chips you know if that isn't alchemy i don't know what is like there's all the sand in the desert that you could possibly want they make it into chips and then people turn ones and zeros into labor-saving devices, and it's called software, right? Yeah. And so, I mean, that look, that's that's why the internet is such an amazing place to do business. Now, is it crazy? Is it dangerous? Is it ruthless? Is it? Uh, yeah, it's all those things, but it's blazingly exciting, right? So, so, so here's there's a twist to the eighty twenty principle. So, not only is it true that 20% of your customers write 80% of the checks and 20% of the employees produce 80% of the work and 20% of the salespeople produce 80% of the sales and 20% of the marketing campaigns produce 80% of the leads. That's all true, but it's also true again. 20% of the 20% produces 80% of the 80%. So what that means is 4% of the salespeople sell 64% of the stuff. And 4% of the customers send in 64% of the orders. And 4% of the products account for 64% of the product sales. And then you can do it again, you can do it again. So 1% produces 50%. And this is all over the place. It's in Facebook campaigns. It's in Google campaigns. It's in landing pages. It's in accounts receivable. It's in accounts payable. It's all over the place. And so... When I realized this, which was about 15 years ago, my my brain just went on fire. And I was like, oh, my word, this is everywhere. This is all around me. And so I completely reoriented all of my sales thinking around the 80-20 principle. And that's, that's my book, 80-20 Sales and Marketing. It's also really the thinking behind the Google AdWords book, the Facebook book, the local advertising book, that this really is very deep. And it simplifies everything that you do because everything that works in sales and marketing actually works because of 80-20. Well, it's interesting that you're mentioning that because yesterday I read what I found a very disturbing article on on LinkedIn. Um, I'm not going to get into the details of it other than I'm going to respond. I'm just trying to figure out how. And uh, where I live up in Canada, the Canadian media is, is now saying that it's unfair that major corporations like Google and Facebook are taking all the advertising revenue because they provide a public service of journalists and um, are proposing that if it's if your money's not spent locally, that you should not have a deduction as an advertising expense. Oh dear! And I'm thinking, well, if you if you guys were relevant, 
and you guys produced results, I would spend money there. The reality is you don't produce results. So that's why I don't spend money there. And you know, it's, it's not, you're not a government service. So you're right. The people that are on the other side of the 80%, the people that are getting 20% of the revenue are now starting to cry foul. And I just say, Hey, that's what, you know, welcome to life. Who (laughs) who said life was going to be fair. You're either going to produce a good product and stay relevant, or you're going to be like Sears um, or blockbusters and you're going to be become not relevant and you're going to close shop. Well, one of two things is going to happen with this. Either A, they're going to get their way. They're going to take away the tax deduction for businesses to buy advertising from LinkedIn and Google and Amazon and whatever. Uh, they're going to take that away and then they'll kill a bunch of small businesses and unemployment will go up and the tax revenue will go down. Or this will go away and die a quiet death and people will go on doing what works and doing what's productive right but you you can't <laughs> you, you can't legislate a failed newspaper industry back into existence right like oh my word like now look i i get what they have angst about i get it right it's like yeah i know like most of the world's advertising money gets plowed into google facebook amazon and apple yeah i know right and they're enormously powerful like they're as powerful as like the top 20 countries in the world okay well but see that's 80 20 and it's like well good luck trying to break that up right yeah (laughs) good yeah good luck so how do we take how do we take advantage of this you know now i mean with the 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 internet providing the tools that they've got i mean you know we no longer have to spend huge amounts of money on analytical tools you can use google analytics and and start to make some sense of what's producing and what's converting so how do you help people drill down and in where they're spending their effort okay so the the first thing to understand is that sales and marketing is not a convincing people process Sales and marketing is a disqualification process. So uh, I'll tell you a story. I I got this friend named John Paul Mendocha, and uh, John uh, hitchhiked to Las Vegas when he was 17, and he became a professional gambler, dropped out of high school his senior year, and he spent three years becoming a professional gambler. And Um, He was mixed up with an organized crime ring and he was doing all kinds of like really not very savory stuff, shall we say. And one day he's sitting in a restaurant booth and these two guys across from are having an argument. And, you know, it's like, yes, you will. No, I won't. Yes, you will. No, I won't. And out comes a Glock (laughs) and the guy points it at the other guy's head and he says, yes, you will. And John is like 20, 21 years old. He's sitting in this restaurant booth across from these guys watching this. And he suddenly realized, dude, if you don't get out of here, it's going to be a gun pointed at your head. It's time to move on. And so John just left. Okay. Now he's at this point, he's spent three years of his life being a professional gambler, which Yields a lot of street smarts, shall we say. And he gets a job working for, uh, as like an entry-level salesperson for a technology company in in Southern California. And his boss plunks 206 sales leads on his desk. 
and he says, John, I want you to meet with all 206 of these people, and I want you to go out and get these orders off the street. Right, really old school, right? Yep. And John looks at this, and he reflects on all of his experience with, you know, being on the street and dealing with people and playing poker and everything else. And he's like, there is no way that 206 of these people are even remotely worth meeting with, okay? There's probably 10, okay? And so he put together something that he calls the five power disqualifiers. And he says, I'm going to call all these people and I'm going to ask them a series of questions and I am only going to meet the ones that match the disqualification criteria. And, and so here's what the five power disqualifiers are. These these five things are always true anytime anybody sells anything, okay, which is a pretty good list. Number one, they have the money, okay? If they don't have the money, they're not buying. You can sing Kumbaya with them. You can show them baby pictures. You can tell them they have a nice fish on the wall, but if they don't have the money, they're not buying. Yeah, that's right. Number two, they have a bleeding neck. They have some kind of urgent problem. I mean, maybe they need caffeine and they're at Starbucks and they're going to give you $3. Or, you know, maybe they're having a heart attack and they're going to buy $75,000 worth of heart surgery. But they got to have a bleeding neck or they're not buying. Number three, they buy into your unique selling proposition. Number four. They have the ability to say yes. Now, I found one of the reasons that I was failing in my sales job was I was spending all my time with people who could say no to me, but they couldn't say yes. Like maybe some engineer where he could think it was cool yeah. or not, but he had to get sign off from his boss or some purchasing guy or somebody, right? Selling to the wrong guy, okay? And the last one was, it fits their overall plans. And so John would get on the phone and he would find out, okay, do you have the budget for this? Do you actually have, uh, you know, some horrible, urgent problem that we actually solve with this thing? And do you buy into the idea that you need this kind of an approach? And, you know, are, are you the guy that makes the decisions? And he went through them all and he called them all. He actually had about, I believe he had about 12 meetings and he sold six. And then he goes back to his boss and he's like, what? You mean you didn't meet with the other 192 people? Um, <laughs> like, no, I didn't. And I'm not going to. Th those, those are the five power disqualifiers. Now, if you start to look at customers like the first thing we're going to do is we're going to figure out who we're not going to sell to. It is greatly simplifies your entire life and it narrows your focus and it it kind of almost like cleans out your headspace. When John, same guy, when when John became a professional gambler, the way that it happened was he was in Vegas just living by his wits for a few weeks and it didn't take very long for him to go, man, this is like harder than I thought it was going to be. And he goes to this gambling bookstore. He's, he's looking at all these gambling books. He's trying to get better at it. And he gets into a conversation with this other guy that's also at the gambling bookstore. And he finds out this guy runs 
a, a group of gamblers and he goes, well, do you think you could teach me how to do what you do? And he says, well, for a percentage of your winnings, I could teach you how to do what we do. And so they, <laughs> they make a deal. Yeah. And so they shake on it. And as soon as they've shaken hands, jump in the Jeep, John, we're going for a drive. So they jump in the Jeep and he's going down the highway and John says, okay, so how do I win more poker games? And he says, the way that you win more poker games is you find people who are going to lose. And those people are called marks. You don't play other professional poker players. You want the guy who just flew in from Wichita with $5,000 of his mother's grandmother's inheritance money. And, and, and he thinks he's going to, you know, win big and lost wages. Like you go after that guy and he goes, well, where do I find that guy? And he goes, here, I'll show you. And he stops at this place and they get out of the car and he takes them into a strip club. And so there's these women and dancing poles and rock and roll and biker dudes. And there's all this noise and distractions and skin and everything. And this guy, Rob, who, who has taken John into the place, Rob always carried a sawed off shotgun inside his jacket everywhere he went. And he, he takes the sawed off shotgun out of his jacket. He holds it under the table he opens it up and then he slams it shut. So it goes, and they call that racking the shotgun. So he racks a, a shotgun in this noisy strip club. And there's a few biker dudes that are over in the corner and they turn around. And they're like, what was that? Like they're ready to rumble, right? And the, and the club owner gets really alarmed and he comes over there and he goes, what's going on over here? And Rob goes, hey man, don't worry about us. I'm not causing any trouble, just teaching the lad a lesson, not going to do that again. And he says to John, John, did you see those biker dudes turn around when they heard that noise? And he's like, yeah. And he goes, don't play poker with them. They're not marks. You play poker with everybody else. <laughs> That's funny. Well, everything you do. Yeah, it's yeah, disqualify in sales and marketing is, is racking the shotgun. Yeah. Go ahead. Well, and there's some easier ways too. I mean, I think back one, one sales manager when I was actually working for somebody else, and this is might sound oversimplified to people, uh, but you know, we were selling a commodity, an industrial commodity, and so one of the ways I, I started building a territory was I found the delivery trucks for several of our competitors, and I followed them, marked the routes, and the days they delivered. Mm. And I realized that, you know, because they're commodities and they're things that are used up, you often run out of them before your delivery. And I just started calling on those people, you know, three or four days for the delivery truck. And it didn't take very long to figure out they ran out of stuff. And you, we, so, you know, it didn't take a bunch of rocket science to figure out, you know, these guys were buying the same products that we sold um, under a different brand. Mm -hmm. And so it was just a very simple way of identifying who had the budget, who could make the decision, what they were buying and, and slowly taking the business away from our competitors. You know, you really can outsmart a lot of sales situations, but you have to play by a different set of rules than everybody else is playing by. And that's exactly what you did, right? You you preemptively uh, sold to people that you already know. So you knew they had the money. You knew they had a bleeding neck. They knew, you knew they bought into your unique selling proposition. You knew they had the ability to say yes. And obviously it fit in their overall plan since they were buying this stuff every day, right? Yep. And so you preemptively went in and you scooped it. 
Yeah, and it was a way to get in. And a lot of times you got to just get a yes. You got to sit up and look around and like, okay, so what's really going on here? There's there's got to be a shortcut. Like I'll never remember what a revelation it was just to discover that there was this thing in the world called mailing lists. I was going through manufacturers <laughs> directories, okay? And I was I would I figured out that in just about every company there was in every engineering department, there was a guy named Dave. And so I would call some company. I'd get the receptionist. I'd say, hi, can I talk to Dave in engineering? And she'd go, oh, do you mean Dave Wilson? I go, yeah, Dave Wilson. <laughs> right? Like, I didn't know Dave Wilson. Yeah. But like, then I'd get this guy. I have no, all I know is I'm talking to Dave in engineering. I'd start asking him questions and I would, I would hope that I could get somewhere, get some information out of the guy before, before he hung up on me. Right. It's like, I didn't realize you realize like you could buy a mailing list of 2000 people who buy 480 volt motor drives. Like, come on. Like, and now again, this, this is probably a little dated, but even, even now, like, you know, you, I bet three times in the last two days, I've given people the idea of, okay, go hire somebody on Upwork or Fiverr or someplace like that, or, or Amazon Digital Turk and, and go scour the internet and find out the names of all these vice presidents of manufacturing or whatever, you know, what have you. Uh, so that we can put these people on a mailing list and start some uh, benevolent Chinese water torture on these people because you have something they need, right? Yeah. So well, that's the world I that's the world I live in, right? Yes. Yeah. So it's it's not outdated. It still happens today. So there's cold email, so you can buy you can buy data, mm -hmm. and then there's a space that I work in, and you can rent data. And the yes. reason I like renting data is because when I get access to somebody's mailing list, so if I get access to a, a list that's maybe three, four hundred thousand names of people, maybe that have a, a health issue, mm -hmm. it's the publisher owns that relationship and they send my message out. And like you said, all we need to do then is, you know, everyone that doesn't respond just by default disqualifies himself and the people hit your landing page to your video, sign up for your lead magnet, then become prospects. But, you know, so people go, well, how many did you get? Well, if you send out 300,000, if you got, you know, um, 3,000 prospects, would that be good? So you're right. That, that still works today. It still works. It's very smart. And that's more than 80% of my revenue to make, to make your point. That's probably 99% of the revenue for my company is renting data like that. Well, so perfect that we, you know, happen to stumble on that topic. And like, my goodness, what a re revelation. And I started to see the world so differently because what I started to realize using the, this terminology that I've been giving you, that somebody's racking the shotgun somewhere all the time. Like every day emails are being opened and Facebook posts are being read and purchases are being made and this data is going somewhere and you don't have to just, oh my goodness, if you're just like stumbling around and cold calling and like shoveling through piles of maneuver to find one little, you know, sapphire every now and then, you're almost certainly doing something wrong. Like, you know, I'm not saying it's always going to be easy, but you ought to always be able to tell at least whether you're getting warm or not. 
And man, I just spent, I'd spent so much of my time just wasting it, like just, you know, combing through manufacturers directories and trying to see people that didn't want to see me and being a pest and, oh my word, just what a, and when I got that new job, I went from being fired because I wasn't making the cut to, uh, I think the first commission check, uh, totaled out to be the best month I'd ever had in my career. And people were calling me, they were emailing me, they were filling out these forms on our website. Like, yeah, I want to, I, I need to get some information on these Profibus cards that you sell. And, and I would email them back and I, I would answer their questions and, and we, we'd talk on the phone and they were actually eager to talk to me because they couldn't find anybody else who knew what they were talking about. And, you know, I started making sales and it was, it was the best form of therapy. Like it was better than therapy. It was like, wow, like somebody actually wants to talk to me. And like, seriously, my confidence had just been cratered from all the time that I spent, like nobody wants to talk to me. I'm like a pariah. I'm like, I'm just this guy trying to sell these cables or trying to sell these connectors or trying to sell these sensors or trying to sell this technology that nobody's ready to buy or, or whatever it was. And man, that, that's a, that's a brutal path, man. That's a, <laughs> I mean, people get depressed. People get strung out over that stuff. They do. And I, you know, and, and I'm a big fan, obviously, of making sure you've got good creative and good marketing copy and landing pages that load quickly and all the tracking. But and I had this conversation with somebody just a couple of days ago, and I said, you know, that even if your sales page sucks and your email outbound email sucks, if you send enough of them, you'll make sales. So in a perfect world, you want to you want to dial it in and make sure that it's working. But just, you know, you gotta, you gotta make some calls. And like you said, not, you know, I'm not a huge fan of cold calls either. So the attraction marketing obviously works a lot better when somebody's warm and pre-qualified. And I think it was Matthew Kimberly calls it the, um, the red velvet rope. Um, so not everybody gets in the club, right? You need to get in behind the vet red velvet rope and how you do that is you qualify. So to your point, do you have the money? Do you have a problem I can solve? Um, do you like what I'm selling? Do you have the ability to say yes? And does it fit into your overall plan? Exactly. And, you know, we, yes, we would all like to use attraction marketing. And the unfortunate truth is that a lot of us are going to start out just finding our way, however we can manage to do it. Well, so th think of it like this. How about think of it as a series of steps. So let's say everything you're doing is cold. Well, the next step is that when you get a hold of somebody, they actually know something about you because they got a letter in the mail or they got an email or they, they saw something you were doing on Facebook and they're like, oh yeah, okay, uh, I, I think I might know who that is, right? And then the next step would be they didn't call you, but they did actually request some information. So they're a little more... Uh, warm than in the previous scenario, right? And then, you know, the next step is, is, is they, maybe they attended a webinar or something like that. And you could message them in the chat box, you know, and eventually get to, you know, they're calling you with money in their fists, ready to give it to you. But there's usually a series of stages and the way that you get from nothing to something in this game is you you tinker with it you you inch with it and 
and you know, you learn some copywriting and uh, you learn something about how to get Facebook ads or Google ads or whatever. And you, you take surveys and you ask customers questions. Uh, you know, customers will tell you a lot of interesting things if you just ask them the question and shut up, right? So <laughs> yeah, uh, there's and 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 they'll they'll almost they'll almost write the sales copy for you if you just listen to what they have to say. I'll ne I'll never forget a uh, long time ago. I, I was calling on a customer in in Boston, and he went on this big rant about how all these companies just make everything so confusing to buy this certain technology. And I was like, dude, I wish I had a tape recorder on when you went into that because like you nailed it. Like that's exactly the problem. And yep. like, I'm not even disagreeing with you. Like everybody's just made this into a giant morass. So, you know, and the, the guy had a big grin on his face. He was kind of proud of himself. Like, you know, <laughs> he was actually ready to listen to something that I had to say. That's cool. Yeah, I did that with a lease. I was I used to do a lot of work in the hospitality sector and we were setting up restaurants and coffee bars and I went into this the law society, this big, you know, uh, prestigious building and uh, they had this big empty space that I thought I should uh, open up um, a coffee bar for a client and I went and talked to the controller and he said, "Yeah, you and all the other big franchises have already been here." Ooh. And um I said, "So, Neil, Interesting. Neil, if, if you could have anything you wanted in your in your foyer for your office building that you own, what would you have? And he told me what he would have. And I went and I hired an architectural um, designer to draft a full color rendering of what this would look like. Hmm. And then we created a menu and I went back to see him and he went, man, that's exactly what I'd like to have downstairs. And we signed a deal, like a 10-year deal. That's beautiful. And people said, how'd you do that? It's like, well, like you said, I, lis I listened to what his problem was and we had other coffee franchises that want to be there. We're an independent, like a, a nobody, an individual guy because, you, you know, you pay attention, you ask some questions, you shut up, you come back, you present the, you know, address his problems, his concerns, and um, you're off and running. Sounds like he had the money, had a bleeding neck, yep. et cetera, et cetera. Pretty good. Yeah, that's good. So tell me uh, a little bit more. Let's talk a little bit about what how you work with your clients and what sort of service you provide to help guide them through this, um, the, the 50 million options of advertising and marketing and growing their business. So 80-20 says that 50% of your results are going to come from 1% of what you do. And it, it really is true. And so what that means is the fastest thing that you should be trying to do is get rid of 80% of what you're doing so you can focus all of your effort on the 20% that actually works and the 1% that really, really moves the needle. So um, what I've always said is that you need to be good, like really, really good at one form of traffic and one form of conversion. So there's really three things to marketing. There's, well, there's four. There's traffic, conversion, economics, and 80-20. So you get traffic into the store or to your website. You can, conversion is you convince them. And economics is money changes hands and value goes both directions. And 80-20 is, is that there's levers in all of this. So you need to get good at one form of traffic, one form of conversion. So there's lots of forms of traffic. There's Google AdWords, there's Facebook, there's LinkedIn, there's Pinterest, there's there's sim, uh, there's speaking at seminars, there's uh, sending out letters, there's like all kinds of things. You need to pick one thing 
that has already shown some promise and you need to get really, really, really good at that one thing. You can't get good at six kinds of online advertising. It's just about impossible. Okay? But you can get good at one. So one way of getting the eyeballs. Okay? And then you need one good way of converting a prospect to a sell. So it could be Maybe you're really good on the telephone. Maybe you're a really good copywriter. Maybe you make killer video sales letters. Maybe you go see people and you're magical when you get in front of somebody. Or um, maybe you're so good at text messaging that you can get somebody to buy something from you by texting them. Like, I don't know. Like, whatever it is get good at that one thing because if you've got one solid form of traffic and way one way of converting that traffic to a sale then then you can get better and better at the traffic you can get better and better at the conversion and then almost always other things will start to build up around those things and supplement what you're doing but you have to get good at the one and the one and and you you make a decision i am I am going to get good at tra Google AdWords if it's the last thing I do. And I'm going to get good at, let's say, doing these webinars every week if it's the last thing I do. And if you do that, you'll have a thriving business. Well, that brings up a good point because you'll hear people say, well, I tried that and it didn't work, and which is incorrect. I'm trying to think of who it was that said. I think it might have been Gary Vee said, you know, you tried it and it didn't work. It doesn't mean that it doesn't work. It means that it didn't work for you at that time. So to your point, you need to get good at it. So it'd be, it's unrealistic to expect that you're going to run your first AdWords campaign. You're going to turn it into a, you know, a seven figure uh, sales effort out of the gate. Now it'd be nice what happened, but the reality is you're going to make a bunch of mistakes. You're going to have to learn and keep going back and learning and learning and learning and, and pulling those dials to make it work. Well, so let's, let's take AdWords. So I'm the guy who wrote the book on Google AdWords. So, so what about AdWords? Well, several things. Uh, first off, if you go to isaw4me.com, which stands for is AdWords for me, you can take a quiz and it'll give you on a scale of one to 10, how suitable your business is for Google AdWords on their search network, on their display network, and it'll give you a competitive index. They'll give you a lot of intelligence just there because AdWords isn't for everybody. So that will help. Okay. Another thing you need to know about Google AdWords is Google tries like crazy to get you to make decisions that are good for Google and bad for you. In fact, they're really bad at this. <laughs> and not, not, I go so far as to say you should never take a phone call from a Google rep because they're almost always at least unintentionally lying to you. Okay, the scripts they've been given, the way their system's designed, their interface is designed to extract money from you. Their interface is designed to extract stupidity tax from you. You need to go get trained by somebody who's impartial. I mean, this is, this is what we do. Now, you could not believe me, and you can let Google clean out your wallet, but I always say never, ever, ever 
put a German shepherd in charge of the ham sandwiches. And you never put the casino in charge of your card game. Okay, so you can't trust Google. Up until three years ago, they had a motto of don't be evil. They dropped that. They're now objectively evil. But that doesn't mean you shouldn't use them. You could get tremendous amounts of traffic from their system if you know what they're doing. And you hunker down and you sharpen your saw and it take it takes time, it takes money. But the great thing about Google is once you got it going, it's very consistent and it's it's very predictable and it can it can bring you a ton of new customers every week, every day, every month, and generate sales leads and all that. But you must sleep with one eye open. Yeah, we've had good success um, with Google AdWords, you know, but to your point, I mean, years ago, uh, if you remember Overture, yeah, before it was Yahoo, um, you know, they called and, and I took their call. <laughs> so they said, hey, let's help you put together an ad campaign. So, you know, they're, they're trying to get people to use the platform. So they helped me put together an ad campaign. They helped me establish a budget. And what was funny was they severely underperformed on the amount of traffic they delivered and they seriously underutilized my budget. So they probably used about 10 or 15% of my budget. Hmm. But it had a happy ending because I got one good lead off of their ad campaign within two weeks and closed a six-figure sale. Oh, okay. So to me, I was right, right at that point, I, I was hooked. I went, okay, this, this works for me. It works for my business, mm -hmm. even though the guys that run the platform, um, I mean, I wish they could have delivered me as much traffic as they promised because maybe I would have got six sales like that, but I got one. Mm -hmm. um, and that was, uh, that was the beginning of uh, my, my um, admiration for paid advertising. Well, that's how it tends to go. And what most people don't realize is that once you tap in and you get something to work, there's usually other stuff under the surface. If you start digging around, you know, there's, there's, there's usually something else and something else. And it, it becomes a virtuous circle because you start getting some traffic, then you can start optimizing your landing pages and your sales pages you start getting good at following up and everything starts giving you more ability to buy more advertising, which gives you more data, more speed, more customers, more track record to go on, more, more examples of what works and more of what doesn't work. And you start trimming and refining and it just keeps going. And it's, it's really a magic carpet ride when you get the whole thing put together. And it can take a while. But I've got a whole bunch of customers that are addicted to this. I mean, it's like it's like a video game that pays you a whole lot of money if you win. Uh, so it's worth playing, but but you must sharpen your pencil and you must take it really seriously. Well, it also comes down to measuring and tracking what you're doing. Like you said, the 80%. So, you know, I look at that's the same thing with the ads. The advantage of those types of platforms is it'll tell you which ads are performing and which ones aren't. So you can tweak, test, you know, and, and continue to optimize your ad so you know, you get higher producing ads if you bump them by 1% here and half a percent there over and over and over again. You just just basically generating more revenue. It's a continuous improvement machine. And yeah, you should always be testing your ads. You should always be trying to beat your controls. That's what the name of the game is. And, you know, a friend of mine, Larry Kim, founder of WordStream, WordStream uh, has this greater tool. And so, WordStream's been in and out of hundreds of thousands of AdWords account and they've assessed them all. And you would be amazed at how few people 
rotate ads and test them, regularly delete non-performing keywords, regularly adjust their bids. Like most people just don't do the basic disciplines that it takes to make it work. Uh, and what, once you've got the thing kind of dialed in, it's not rocket science. It's like, it's more like, well, okay, if you know how to play the guitar, then you just need to pick up the thing and play it every three days, you know, and stay in tune and stay in practice. And, and then you, you watch, you watch those things like a hawk. It's, uh, it's, it's an incredibly rewarding thing. I was telling somebody just earlier today, in fact, that, you know, people, people try, people always want to outsource AdWords and pay-per-click. Well, you can do it. And in fact, if you want to do it, you can go to marketers247.com and we've got a whole bunch of people who make themselves available on our talent board. That's like the Perry Marshall talent board of all my customers that do this stuff. You can outsource, but that said, PPC is literally one of the hardest things in all of businesses, all of business to outsource. Outsourcing bookkeeping is easier. Outsourcing HR is easier. Outsourcing shoveling snow is easier. Outsourcing laundry and cooking and all that stuff is fairly easy to outsource. AdWords, copywriting, hard to outsource. And so I suggest most people, especially small businesses, you should figure out how to delegate a bunch of $10 and $20 an hour tasks that you're doing all the time and do the $500 an hour task, which is AdWords or Facebook advertising or some form of PPC where you can at will get in front of people who are buying what you sell and you get to the front of the line. Well, that's back to your 80-20 rule. So you're outsourcing what um, what you're either not good at or, or is not you know paying you the rate that you should get paid. That's right. It's the, the 80% that only generates 20% of your results. Yeah. And it, it really, like, seriously, outsource your laundry, outsource your cooking, outsource your honeydew projects, outsource shoveling snow, mowing the lawn. Do all that long before you outsource some of, like, AdWords. You gotta be very careful. So where's the, uh, let's, I'm gonna wind up, I wanna respect your time today, but I wanna ask a couple more questions. So where's the best place for people to find you? So people wanna learn, hey, what's, uh, what's Perry all about? Uh, what's he doing and how can I learn more about him or, or find out how, how he's working with his customers? Where should they track you down? Go to perrymarshall.com slash 8020, com slash 8020. And what you'll find there is, my book, 8020 Sales and Marketing, which has 400 reviews on Amazon, 4.7 stars. You know, Dan Kennedy said, if you don't know who Perry Marshall is, unforgivable. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah. You can buy that book for a penny plus shipping. Yeah. It's a penny plus $6.99, $7 in the US, $14 outside of the US. will give you bonuses that don't come with the bookstore version of the book. And you'll be able to watch an exquisitely designed sales funnel in action. You can learn a lot just from seeing how we do our emails, how we do our upsells, how we do our website, all of that stuff, how we communicate with our customers. You can learn a great deal. And, um, and the book will totally change the way that you think about sales. Uh, it will actually make making decisions about sales much simpler because you'll see, oh, Here's the 80, not very 
not very productive. Here's the 20. That's very productive. And if you can do that, you can solve almost anything. Yeah, I have a bit of a cheat I do uh, the days I don't feel focused and I just have a post-it note on my computer and basically it, it says, you know, three things. And what that is a reminder for me is what are the three things that I can do today that'll have the most impact on my business? Yes. And so that means a, lo a lot of the other things just don't get done. It's like Gordon Ramsay. When he goes into these restaurants, first thing he does is he shreds the menu. It's like, why do you have these lot keys in here? And why do you have this these tacos and why do you have this chicken chow mein and why do you have this like all these weird things like you need one signature dish that's gonna blow people's socks off like and 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 he strips it down to its bare essentials and and that's that's what all of us need to do especially in the 21st century when we have a gajillion options well you don't need a jillion options to be happy. You need one thing that works. So do the one thing. Yeah. That's ex or the three yeah, things, what right? Problem. That's great. Those are the three things. You, if yeah. you do three important things today, you could take the rest of the day off. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> I think that's what I'm going to do when I'm, when I'm done the interview, I'm going to head out to the, uh, head out to the river and sit and uh, just uh, catch some fresh air and join the, uh, enjoy the Eagles down fishing. So last question. I think that sounds like a great idea. Well, I, I think so too. I've been looking forward to it all day. Thursdays is my podcast day. So I just love connecting with people and having these, uh, these types of conversations. So my tough question that stumps everybody, let's see if you can, uh, you can make it past this one. And that is who's one guest that I absolutely have to have on my podcast. I'll give you two. Okay. One of them is Megan Macedo, uh, meganmacedo.com. She has a brilliant approach to storytelling, which is extremely authentic and I've I've learned a lot from her she started out as my student and she still is but I am also her student uh, in fact I went to a writing retreat she did a few months ago uh, another person that you should have on your podcast is Tim Francis who is actually a fellow Canadian he's from he's from Edmonton but he now lives in Austin Texas and he's an 8020 fanatic. Uh, and I think both of those people would be great on your podcast. Excellent. Well, I just want to say thanks so much for taking time out of your day. I mean, we're all busy and it's just great that you can come and share with our listeners, give them some tips and help them to clarify and think of, you know, a way to, you know, evaluate, hold up to the light, if you will. Um, what are you doing all day? You know, what are you doing under the the guise of sales and marketing? And just really be honest and take the 80% of the stuff that's crap, throw it out or give it to somebody else and uh, spend your time um, where you're making a difference for your company or your employer's company. So thanks so much, Perry. I want to thank you for having me on. And uh, I really liked the the places we went. And I, I loved your thing about, you know, following the delivery trucks around. I mean, yes, that's good old fashioned guerrilla marketing if there ever was such a thing. So that's great. Yeah, I tell people you don't have to, you know, marketing is not about spending money. It's about doing things that work and lots of stuff that we do in terms of joint ventures and simple tactics like that really cost nothing, but they produce massive results. Indeed. 
So thanks again. So thanks for tuning in listeners. I hope that you uh, got some valuable takeaways. Uh, maybe we'll have to check back in with you and you guys can let us know how many of you are going through the, uh, the tasks you've got in your desk and delegating the 80% and uh, moving over to the 20% to the dark side of making, uh, making things happen. So thanks for tuning in and we look forward to serving you on our next episode. That's all for this episode of Real Marketing Real Fast. Now it's time to take your marketing to the next level by visiting dougmorneau.com and downloading our advanced marketing white papers as well as exclusive resources based on today's episode. That's dougmorneau.com. Until next time, we look forward to serving you right here on Real Marketing Real Fast.